Welcome to Record Roulette. My name is Eamon O'Flynn, and I'm here with Sonia Walton to discuss another album from the Rolling Stone 500 Greatest Albums list that we've chosen at random. We are without Nathan Smith today. But we thankfully, are bereft. Bereft, exactly, yes. But thankfully, we're welcoming our first retread, I mean, returnee from season <laughs> one, Gabe Pollock, as our guest. It's adequate to have you back, Gabe. <laughs> Hi, Eamon. Hi, Sonia. I just want to start off by apologizing for everything I've said before, and I promise to do better this time. Excellent. Thank God. Don't outstrip the host and the co-host. Mm-hmm. We, we're churning out nothing but trash in these yep. streets. Look, we'll That's just fail right. a little better each time, and um, eventually Failing we'll be adequate. That. What if this is a new listener, though, and we're just talking about how all we're churning out is trash? We're supposed to hide that at minute, like, 40 or so. No, this yeah, is well, what you do. You I set think the it'll ex- be pretty evident. You pretty set the expectations quickly. low, and then once it's like, oh, actually, this is, I mean, it's it's crappy, but it's not it's not total trash. Like It's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Or they suggested it would be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, last time you were on the show. Uh, We talked about a little-known artist named Laura Nero, Mm -hmm. who is on the list in the 400s with an album called Eli and the 13th Confession. Mm -hmm. Uh, You're following that up with another little-known artist named David Bowie. Bowie, I I believe. David Bowie? Bowie? Yeah. I think that's in the UK only. Uh, I assume neither of you have ever heard of him, but he is quite well-known in some circles. Never. Never heard of him before. No. Uh, I'm kidding, of course. Gabe, you're... You've basically swung to the other end of the spectrum with the with one of the biggest music geniuses of the last century. Are you a big Bowie Bowie fan? I I am. I, I really like the Bowie stuff a lot. Um, I I was thinking about it. I kind of I I feel nervous about calling myself a David Bowie fan purely just because he has such a deep discography. Like it's it's close to 50 years of music and like two dozen albums or something. And within that is, is so much variety and so much transformation that like, it's hard to like, I, my knowledge is, is by no means complete, but I really, I really love David Bowie. I, I, uh, I love a lot of his music and I really love just the existence of him. The, like mm-hmm. the, the way he acted as a, as a pop star, the way he kind of like defined what it means to be a pop star and, and, changing yourself and and bringing weird artistry into pop music and all that it's it's stuff that i it's absolutely my jam <laughs> yeah and also the world kind of just fell apart as soon as he died yeah yeah right he it's is. like really that's the starting point right when when historians look back at this era they'll be like david bowie died mm-hmm. and then everything went to shit yeah david bowie started making albums then uh we had uh <laughs> technological growth we had the internet we had a lot of great stuff then he died then everything fell apart Yep, exactly. So, yeah, that'll be like a new year zero for whatever <laughs> civilization comes next. Exactly. Uh, Sonia, what about you? Big Bowie fan? Uh, I like Gabe. I would I would qualify that. I I love David Bowie's music. I I know a lot of the greatest hits and a few of the albums. Um, we were talking before we hit record about Labyrinth and mm. how that kind of you know. Uh, jump-started puberty for me uh, with David Bowie as the Goblin King. It's very fair. And yes, the pants and are hear... very good. <laughs> yes, the pants are really good. Exceptional. It's the first time um, you saw a penis just right out there on a screen. <laughs> it In was, a children's it movie. It was there. <laughs> it was 
capital T-H-E-R-E -E there. Um, and the following year, because Labyrinth was so famous and because, you know, I was a dorky kid, I guess. I don't know. We, uh, my friends and I went to see David Bowie on the Glass Spider tour. Oh, wow. So with Duran Duran opened for them, it was, you know, a pretty stellar show. But yes, I am familiar with David Bowie's music. I hadn't listened to this album before, but I knew a few of the songs from it as a result of my fandom. I think I'm like, I, I mean, I'm probably in the same boat as both of you. Back in the summer when we did one of our summer mini episodes, I when we asked or when I asked you guys which artists you were most looking forward to, my answer was was David Bowie. And it was mm -hmm. basically because I wanted to get into some of these albums because I know I know those hits, but I don't know anything else apart from the concept of David Bowie. You know, it's like the labyrinth David Bowie and the, the many faceted concepts. Yes. The uh, <laughs> what else? The the David Bowie who showed up on late night um late night program so I'd, I'd mentioned to you guys before that i i sang that song from labyrinth I, I to my kids when they were very young but i also continue to to do something that he did on on conan o'brien which is he did hickory dickory dock in <laughs> david bowie style and it was just like hickory dickory dock the mouse ran up the clock the clock struck one it's like that you know like these like crazy now you're just showing off o'flynn yes. Yeah, uh, he's probably it's the voice that most aligns with my voice. I think um, it's the easiest for me to to mimic. I think, he's but I'm gonna listen back to this later and be like, "Holy crap, I still like shit." <laughs> no, uh, I'm sure you'll get some feedback on Twitter as well. I'm going to uh, edit myself until I sound perfectly like him. But <laughs> you'll just but, edit in the clip of David Bowie. <laughs> that was my impression. <laughs> yeah, he sounds exactly like him. Holy cow! But also, That's fly the Concords, um, which we mm -hmm. Gabe and I were. I I, I sent a message Always to something in about. Space. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, you, you. I think I said something along the lines: "Are are you?" ready to to discuss um bowie's transmission you know from his nipple antennae station to station or something like <laughs> yeah, that and, yeah yeah and then with no context and gabe kind of was like yeah because <laughs> yeah, I, I missed the reference but i was just like yeah probably somewhere in <laughs> yeah, david sure. bowie's career he's Nipples. had nipple antenna or discussed nipple antenna but that seems yeah. right <laughs> it makes perfect sense that mm -hmm. yeah i mean maybe he just calls them that i don't know uh it's one of those things where that particular episode, not to kind of go away from the whole concept of this podcast, but it's stuff like that that I'm always like, I wonder if he saw it and he <laughs> thought it was funny. I hope yeah. he did. I hope he thought I, he, he realized how much of a like an icon that was like mockable, but in such a happy and, you know, like loving way. Yeah. I think it's just great. I mean, I think that is kind of one of the fascinating things about Bowie is that well, and it's 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 one of the things as you get into these kind of higher up albums as well, is that you're dealing with people who aren't just musicians and aren't just pop stars, but are like cultural touchstones. Like mm -hmm. talking about movies, I was remembering that like the Prestige, he shows up late in the Prestige playing Nikola Tesla, and it's mm -hmm. such a like strange moment when he pops up of just like this weird celebrity playing this weird this other kind of weird celebrity. Like mm -hmm. David Bowie is such a moment and so parodyable and so parodyable in, in so many different forms and and mm -hmm. what he means as Ziggy Stardust and as Thin White Duke, which is uh relevant to, to this album. He's such a like interesting kind of piece of, of what the twentieth century was. Mm -hmm. And then the early twenty twenty first century as well. 
So do you guys do you guys want to give me a, a bit of a teaser for where you're going this episode? Did you like the album? Hate the album? Were you overwhelmed? Underwhelmed? Just whelmed? Uh, Gabe, you can you can kick us off. Um, I think overwhelmed is a good word for it. <laughs> it's a it's a it's a real. There's a lot happening in this album. It's a uh, a lot of different styles coming together. A lot of different genres. A lot of big ideas. There's like romance and God and all of it. Um, it's it's not necessarily uh, my uh, preferred David Bowie musical style, but I just kind of really love the product, love the like the object of it, and just how dense it is as well. That it's like a thirty five minute album with six tracks and still mm-hmm. just covers the entire universe and a lot of cocaine and a lot of cocaine, <laughs> a lot of cocaine. Yeah, Sonia. Uh, I love this album. I was a bit worried uh, when station to station starts it's it's a bit of a slow build mm-hmm. and i was like uh, i don't know if this is if this is going to be my cup of tea or not but it, when it does build it, i was just blown away and there was not a song on it that i disliked um and we can talk i guess we'll talk later about the structure and stuff like that but yeah no i there was nothing it's to, to dislike it's just a really highly pl- pleasing pleasurable um graceful album to listen to for lack of better words uh yeah glad That's we're on the podcast <laughs> <laughs> um yeah the so for for me i think i to go back to my overwhelmed underwhelmed just whelmed I think I started with underwhelmed and then slowly as I listened to it more and more times slowly became more whelmed. <laughs> and then then it was just me then it was like meeting every expectation I, I could have. I do have the it's funny if I go through my notes and uh, if I read them verbatim uh I I the the version of me that wrote these notes like a week ago had a real bone to pick with certain parts of this album. But by the oh. time we are, I got to like rereading this earlier today, I was like, I you're like, who is this, this bitch, talking about. Yeah, this guy's an <laughs> asshole. What is he talking about? Uh, but before we, before we get right into it, I, I will kind of go straight to, straight to what it is that bothered me. But first I want to, I think it makes some sense to give a very quick overview of where Bowie is at this point. You mentioned the cocaine, Gabe. Cocaine. Yeah. Um, Knee deep in cocaine, I think is where he is. <laughs> so he's, he's already released some of his most iconic material. So Ziggy Stardust, Hunky Dory, Aladdin Sane, Young Americans. Um, the last one of Young Americans is, is the previous studio album. It's a big mm-hmm. hit. Uh, he's branching out into acting and just accepted a role in a movie called The Man Who Fell to Earth, which led him to move to L.A. While there, he became so addicted to heroin that it ruined his friendships with notable straight-edge musicians like Keith Moon, Harry Nilsson, and John <laughs> Lennon. His diet consisted primarily of red and green peppers, milk, and cocaine. And Bowie has said that he only weighed 80 pounds at the time Jesus that he God. recorded this tap dancing christ in his own 80 words 80 pounds he's a grown eight, man 80 pounds yeah uh yeah how tall is he was he God i he can't he, he can't man. be this tall ass man yeah i mean he can't be shorter than like 510 right I'm, so, I'm gonna google it while you continue yeah uh in his own words he was zonked quote zonked out of his mind most of the time this has led him to note that he can't really recall the recording of station to station in <laughs> fact is- he he couldn't even remember the studio and admitted that he only knew he recorded it in L.A. because he'd read that he recorded it in L.A. That probably explains why 
unlike previous albums, he turned up to the studio with fragments of songs rather than completed compositions. 1.78 meters tall. I, I can't do that calculation. I don't like, either. What, what I is was this? hoping like, one of you adult males could <laughs> nope. figure it out for me. All right. I'll, I'll Google conversion charts. <laughs> this is all happening. Excellent. Uh, <laughs> I think the thing that the, so I want to go straight to the composition piece because this is the place, this is where it kind of f fell on its face and it read that read the start for me is just that title track is long and rambling and kind of, it's so weird. It, the intro to me, my, my feeling of the intro was like, Oh, this is cool. This is like, there's so much tension here and there's, it's really kind of looks like it's building into something that's probably a bit more of a kind of, you know, your basic 1970s like rock song, but it just kept layering new stuff on and and, it was really, and then it just kept doing that for like four more minutes and never really feeling like it got anywhere. And so uh, that's why I was kind of underwhelmed at the start. I just it, like it's it's funny because the second time I listened to the album, I hated that song so much that I skipped it. And then all of a sudden the album was like awesome. <laughs> And I think there's it's a, such a thing about how people listen to albums and how how much comp uh you know how how you construct the album sequencing everything like that matters because like whether whatever he intended with that for me it was like oh god I have to listen to that song again that ten minute long song that builds and builds and feels like it goes nowhere. It's I mean it's a really it's a really like if, if the charitable way to say it is it's a really bold way to start an album is instead of doing kind of a punchy hit or something, you do this this kind of more experimental track, much more, like, very slow build. Like, I think there aren't lyrics for the first three or four minutes, something like that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's that's often the kind of thing that winds up going right at the end of the album is is we're kind of playing around. But I do think it, it kind of... I, I think Bowie, in terms of his... Uh, where he is in his musical career, is really establishing kind of a very new new style and new sound. And he's really kind of introducing you to that in a very directed way. Um, and I mean, I, I say directed way, but I think also part of it is is a very like improvisatory uh, style. A lot of clash of weird instruments coming together, very stream of consciousness kind of lyrics. I mean, I couldn't really sort out much from these except him insisting. I just wrote this down because it's such a great line. It's not the side effects of the cocaine. I think that it must be love. Which is great because it definitely is the cocaine, and I think he yes. knows that. I I took sort of a a more literal approach to the title and the composition of the songs and station to station. I was thinking, you know, again because I'm elderly, and when I was growing up, you know, we had to get up off our asses and change the channel on the TV, and so it was kind of like s switching station to station looking for something mm. interesting and there's something different and weird on every channel um, and that's sort of how i read the progression through those little snippets those little kind of experimental slices of songs mm -hmm. and um one part of it sounds very like well there's like some talk of journeys and mountains somewhere in there mm -hmm. and that reminded me kind of of Led Zeppelin and Jethro Tull and that kind of um, mm -hmm. I don't know what that style of rock is called but uh, mountains and hills Mount and over mountains the and hill rock. such and whatnot <laughs> <laughs> far away um, and interestingly like I 
I read this album as kind of two mini albums because there's a parallel for me between each set like side A and side B. So station to station and TVC one five, TVC one five is like a station, is it not? So there's like a definite parallel between those two and also the other two pairs of songs we can talk about. But yeah, it is a it is an odd way for sure to start an album, but I kind of I thought it was like a good way to set up, you know, this is gonna be a ride, y'all. So buckle up. Yeah, we talk so often about like the importance of whatever that very first song is uh, on these albums. And so often it goes in the direction of it builds energy and it gets you into it right away. Right. Like with, mm-hmm. with Madonna's like a prayer, it's like a prayer, um, you know, is, is a perfect example of like getting you right into it. And this one to me, it was so strange. The other thing that's weird about it is I don't think any other song on this album is like this, but it's, it's kind of just two separate songs. The first one kind of ends at about the five minute and 30 second mark. And then mm-hmm. that second half starts. That's a lot more upbeat. But it like literally the music fades out and stops and then it starts again. Mm-hmm. And it's so it's it's odd. It's almost like why didn't why wasn't it split into two different because I've read the lyrics and they're they're, they're they don't they're not clearly about the same they're thing. They're not coherent. They, yes. <laughs> well, yeah, they're at times his lyrics can be it can be great on this album but in that particular case it's like they're very different like they don't seem to have a direct relationship to each other two halves um from whatever i'm reading into it mm. and yeah it just seemed really strange to i i get your point gabe I, th- I think about like he is moving all over the place like he's very much changing what he's doing um you know i i think to me that almost went back to my expectations too like when i when i was listening to this i I was thinking about how heavy the bass and the drums are in a lot of the songs, including uh, including the second half of Station to Station when it gets a lot louder um, on things like Word, Word on a Wing or Stay. Like they're really heavy and it's like kind of like this really strong funk kind of feel to it. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a sound that I don't associate with David Bowie. And it's probably because most of the David Bowie stuff I listen to is from before this. And so it's it's like one of those great um, showings of like, wow, he's changing, changing his music so much or to the point where it doesn't it's not completely recognizable to me. Apart his voice is obviously. But if you told me that this music was was David Bowie and I was trying to track it back to to Ziggy Stardust or Hunky Dory, I just couldn't do it in my head. So it's it's kind of uh, it's it's interesting. But again, like I. That was the big bone I had to pick was like, I was like, this is the greatest album, but the first song made me want to turn the album off. <laughs> like, how do you, how do you get past that when you kind of talk about like, what's, you know, what's great and <laughs> what's not. And, you know, when you're talking about like the top, was this top 40 or something, mm-hmm. you know, 52 to 52 i think i didn't even like introduce the album at the very start of this episode guys i don't know if i well, i did this by the way everyone we're talking about station to station <laughs> from, David Bowie. It's from 1976 <laughs> we've been talking for 20 minutes now <laughs> which is half the length of station to station <laughs> yes. we, we should have figured i mean everyone sh- who's listening should have figured this out by now based on the fact that the uh you know the name the name of this episode is called station to station david yeah, bowie brackets review yeah. <laughs> um so yeah the cover for, for the episode is just the album cover so 
I mean, come on, guys, figure it out. Uh, but yeah, I the one thing that did come up repeatedly in in reviews is that they thought his voice was kind of weak. Did you guys did you what? guys think think that? No, no, it sounds like David Bowie. What's wrong with them? Yeah. I mean, I do think David Bowie has a weird voice. Like I, I was trying to, I, w- I was thinking about this as I was listening to it. Like, does he have a good voice? And I don't like he has such a uniquely David Bowie voice. And it's I, I love the sound of it, but it's I don't think it's necessarily classically good in a sense. Like, no. I think he he is he's kind of playing this kind of lounge singery type uh type mode and it's it's really fascinating and he his voice wavers in strange ways and he does this falsetto which is outside of his range but it's it's just it's just what he is it's just uniquely him sonia do you have any thoughts on his voice i mean you did say it sounds like david bowie and you were happy with the voice so just a thorough thorough review of his voice as as the catalyst to puberty for me there's nothing david bowie can do wrong uh he's a beautiful singer he's a beautiful man he's five foot five foot eight something oh that's not that's shorter than i thought yeah i don't like david bowie as much i like him a little bit less (laughs) i'm not gonna lie i like like a tall stretch of water (laughs) drink water stretch stretch of man i don't know yeah cut that (laughs) i yeah it's like honestly i have i like people more when i have to look up you know, I, I think I respect them. Yeah, more. yeah. exactly. Yeah, if I look, I'd be looking down at him. And that wouldn't yeah. be. I like a man you can climb like a tree, you know? Yeah, That's same here. Is. That's my feeling too. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, to your point, Gabe, I think that I was, I mean, I did go back and listen to a, a bunch of previous albums of his because I, specifically just for the vocals, just to be like, this is something they criticize. Can I hear this? And I can, it's like a little bit stronger, but I wouldn't say it's like so noticeable. And I mean, it's it's kind of amazing he can make any sounds at all, considering the emaciated state his body was in at this exact moment. Uh, I'm not if I was 80 pounds, I don't think I could get I could get more than three words out. Also, he's only five eight. Like I'm surprised he can reach the mic. You know, like he's so little. <laughs> yeah, back then they didn't uh, they didn't have adjustable mics. Yeah, right? they had they the just... apple crates and. Yeah, I think while he while he might not be a classically or or technically perfect singer i think one thing i've learned to appreciate during the course of recording these episodes is that that is not necessarily an interest like a technically Mm -hmm. perfect singer Mm -hmm. is not necessarily interesting in fact they can be quite the opposite of that and i'm not going to mention episode numbers or names but Mm -hmm. we've we've reviewed a couple of technically perfect or excellent vocalists who are just not, there's nothing of interest there. It's just, mm-hmm. I think sometimes it's the flaws that are more interesting or something. Yeah. And I think, you know, it keeps coming up that like Bowie's, uh, the kind of way that he is a pop star, the way that he's a personality, like I think his voice plays into that as well. Like his voice is perfect for David Bowie songs. It is, it is, it is exactly what you want in a David Bowie song. And, and yet the music Bowie. changed, yeah. you know, like that's the thing that's kind of interesting about him is the music can change so substantially from, you know, from the start to the start of his career to this point to mm-hmm. station to station. And yet his voice just seems to fit. And yeah. that, it's it's good when that it's nice when that happens, when it doesn't feel like someone's voice has to be 
paired with a specific type of music or something, it sounds exactly the same. And it kind of remember it reminds me of um, of Lord. So we did a Lord album uh, last season. Sonia's son was on that one. He did not like it. He cussed uh, a lot, apparently. Cussed a lot. He's not allowed I mean, back on. He cussed a lot until he washes until I... his mom washes his mouth out uh, every weekend. Allowed. Every weekend. <laughs> it's still I don't think bad. that's okay. It's still no. valid. <laughs> yeah, I don't the, think that's but... working. <laughs> yeah, it does not seem like an effective tactic. Uh, but her voice, her voice is also very recognizable. And but if you listen to melodrama or pure heroin, which are the first two of her albums, which have a lot of some similarities to them, and then you listen to Solar Power, which is the the newest one, mm-hmm. the style of music changes completely. Her voice does not change, and it's still very clearly Lord's voice. But it, you know, a good a good musician, a good artist can make their can make that work. And he does that here. Yeah. Like the Mick Jagger. Thing, Probably yes, like not Mick... a very good singer, technically, but very unique and very recognizable. And mm-hmm. yeah, maybe not everyone's cup of tea, but. And been singing the same song since like. 1965. Yep. <laughs> and I think when you've got an album like this, which is so, so many of the songs are quite paranoid and quite fearful in a way. Like there's a lot of, mm-hmm. there's a lot of kind of, uh, yeah, there's a lot of like fear and a lot of like uncertainty about the world. Trepidation. Yeah, and so I think that voice also really fits really well for that too. It's like mm-hmm. he is he is this performance of this man who is stuck at home and watching too much TV and doing too many drugs and all this. And <laughs> the extremely yeah, thin white is, duke. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. I one of my notes about his singing is, is kind of to to your earlier point, Gabe. Like the the thing that people. Whenever you listen to those earlier albums, when he tries to hit high notes, it's almost part of his style and his singing that he like sounds like he's reaching to a note that he cannot possibly hit. Yeah. And so even if he did sound worse on this, you know, like his voice was weaker or thinner or something like that, it doesn't stop sounding like David Bowie. You know what I mean? Don't you kind of right? appreciate his ambition? Like, I, I could almost yeah, get it. Absolutely. I'm going to try anyway. Yeah. It's, uh, hey, yeah, it's like... Yeah. Yeah, it's exactly. exactly. <laughs> I'm going to amplify that just to make sure everyone can hear. But yeah, it's just, yeah, it's just kind of a, a feature of his voice, not a bug, right? Like yeah. it's it's one of those things where it's a, it's part of the expectation. And yeah, did the Thin White Duke, like that's kind of what they were, or what he's he's talked about is like this idea of this character. He sang, he sang it as the character as far as he was concerned. He toured as the character later. That's why I made that remark about fascism because he, I don't know if you guys know this, he got in a whole bunch of trouble for doing a whole bunch or saying a whole bunch of things like supporting fascists and fascism in general while touring for this album. And people were like, I mean, David Bowie's a fascist. And he's like, no, it was the Thin White Duke. And like he immediately... Uh, from what I understand, he like immediately disavowed that and was like within the same year was like, no, no, this is it's very important that, you know, this is a character. <laughs> like, yes. It's very important that, you know, that I'm not actually professing these views. Yeah, um, it's it's uh, I don't know. It's a uh, it's funny. I'm it's one of those things that you almost you have to take that persona. You have to take into account when when listening to the album. But it is also at the same time really hard to like to to say we should be judging the album or, you know, anyone should be judging the album with that persona in mind. Like I, that's a weird place where I think he's one of the few artists that fits in that zone where you're like, I don't know how much do you include whatever is happening in his world around him at the time or whatever he's bringing into the world visually or 
artistically rather than like whatever is actually pressed into the vinyl. Yeah, very much so. Do you think he, he workshopped that that line, the thin white duke, and maybe like started with short? Short white duke. <laughs> people were like, no, duke. no, you're 80 pounds. Go with, go with thin. <laughs> Sounds more mysterious. Yeah, that's probably what it is. That's probably what happened. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but my name for this is the moderately fit white Eamon. Um, yeah, I was uh, was not. pretty happy with that. Oh, um, yeah. Yep. Did you notice mine? I no. did. Stay Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, okay, so what else? Lyrics. It's we station talk- to song it for the people who are not in this room. <laughs> <laughs> and Gabe's is just Gabe. Mine's just Gabe. Yep. But he, no last just name. Like he's Gabe. kind of, he's kind of, it's like Cher. That's right. Yeah. yeah. I like to think of myself as Cher. Um, <laughs> can I talk about Angel? Yes, Go please. for it. I think it's silly. Um, I, I, I very much enjoyed this album. I think Golden Years is a really silly song. Mm. I, I love Golden Years. I find it's kind of, I don't know, I, I, I think he's doing this kind of weird play with doo-wop music. And mm-hmm. I think it kind of comes off as, I don't know if mocking, but it comes off as like playful in a way that I didn't particularly respond to. Hmm. I I felt like it had sort of like, yes, I see what you're saying, Gabe, I, and totally agree, comma, however. Um, I think it also has like a nostalgic exuberance of just being young and goofy and like mm-hmm. thinking you can sing. And I don't, I don't know. I, I just, it's a, it seemed like a fun, whimsical it is silly song it's goofy like in a and i think it is it is knowingly goofy as well like it's 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 intentionally playing in that space as well stylistically it it doesn't fit with the rest it's one of the it's i think the one that like from a style standpoint doesn't really fit i mean that like instrumentally and like yeah it it doesn't have the same like kind of funk like the the same i I don't know what what do you disagree with everything everything everything. sonia always you amen i always disagree no i don't um but uh, song two on side B or side, song five of the CD or whatever we're calling this now, the digital mm-hmm. recording, Stay is kind of like a parallel to Golden Years also because mm. it also has a funk disco vibe. It also weirdly has, um, it sounds a lot, both songs sound like or are reminiscent of Fame from the previous mm-hmm. album. Mm, yeah. Um, and, uh, and so... I, I disagree that it doesn't sound like anything else on the album because well, yeah, I think that I had a reason. Those, are, those are an interesting <laughs> pair of songs because they're both, I think in a way, the ones where Bowie is most covering a specific style or like playing mm-hmm, in a specific mm-hmm. space, like in, in Golden Being Years, super it's, funky. It's doo-wop. Yeah. And, and stay is just so funky. Like, Stay sounds like it could be out of a black exploitation movie. Like it's, it's wasn't so he on good Soul times. Train or something? Yeah. Oh, he was he performing? He was the performing. second. I want to say maybe white. second white performer after Elton yeah, John, and he showed up super mm-hmm. drunk and was completely incapable of singing "Golden Years." Good. Yeah. Yep. So that's, uh, but yeah. So uh, the reason I was star. saying that about "Golden Years" though is is it was it was written ahead. It it was written earlier. Uh, oh, and, I think and, I read about and, this. Was it? And for... it was written for Elvis, who rejected yeah. it. And Not so he's like, oh, I guess I'm gonna re- I'm gonna record it. But it's it's to me, it's like a softer. It doesn't have quite the same like heavier guitar that you hear on a lot, including Stay. It doesn't have the 
Um, it doesn't have the the much heavier bass and drums that you hear on most of the rest of the album. Yeah, I I could and, also hear Elvis Presley singing that song though. I was like trying to yeah. like tap dance it out in my head, and you yeah. could hear his vocals. Can you do an Elvis impersonation, Amen? Or um, I maybe do for next. Maybe for yeah, a let me let me work let me workshop yeah. it a little yeah. bit, and yeah. uh, you know I'll I'll try. I mean. He's got, he's got, like, the thing about him and David Bowie is, like we were saying, David Bowie, part of it comes from him not being able to actually sing. And then with Elvis, it's like he was noted as being a very good singer. So for mm, me to, like... He could have hit that angel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He would have no problem with that. <laughs> he would have had a backup vocalist do it. So the, then TVC 15. So when I when I was, like, looking at the lyrics, TVC 15 is fucking hilarious. It's a great song. It's song. actually a really funny so song. Much. Are we skipping word on a wing? We're we're doing this out of order can, now. I wasn't doing it. Yeah, I, I don't. Oh, okay. I don't. Yeah. Sorry I'm for talking. I'm just talking. Imposing my rigid ways. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it's literally about a TV that eats a woman who comes to his house, and then if you read the lyrics, it's like him pleading with the TV to send her back, and then he kind of eventually decides that maybe he'll just jump in after her. And it was inspired by one of Iggy Pop's dreams. <laughs> oh yeah. Well. Oh. That, so that that's sense. where it came from. But it's such a weird song. Everything else on this album does feel a little bit more serious. And, you know, like no matter how bouncy or poppy or, or whatever they are, like there's a seriousness to them that kind of comes comes out. And then but not this one. This one, there's nothing about that song that is serious sounding. So it's yeah. it's a it is truly to me like it's written in the goofiest possible way it also it has this energy of like it's about a tv but it also feels like it's about just anything like the tv could do like it, it reminded me almost of like in dr seuss you know the needs that like mm-hmm. everyone needs a need everyone needs a tc15 it can do everything it's a demon it's powerful it's like it's all the things do you want to talk about word on a wing song no <laughs> this what happens when nathan isn't around to keep, keep us in line um yeah <clears throat> sure it's my favorite song on the album i'm jumping way it's, ahead but it's, it is, it's my favorite it's song super romantic mm-hmm. it's it's a beautiful song and i think if i may go on with my horse shit it it has a, a direct parallel with Wild as the Wind in mm-hmm. the structure of the title, as well as the, the sentiment and thematic. Yeah, I can see that. I, I very much yeah. agree with that. I think that. But I also love this and I'm, I'm, I'm so curious and surprised and happy that you love it because it is also, to me, sounds like uh, Bruce Springsteen type ballads. So no. like. It, yes, it does. Yes, it does. And <laughs> yes, it does. Um, so the Wild, the Innocent, and the E Street Shuffle, which is on the list, I think, and I, I'm looking forward to reviewing it at some point this decade. Um, there's a song called Incident on 57th Street. Mm-hmm. If you listen to that and then listen to this. And I learned through reading about this album that Roy Bitten, who is the professor from the E Street Band, it played the piano and organ for this album mm-hmm. and also amen for bob seger i was gonna say this sounded a lot like bob seger to me uh personally we're on a wing basically sounded like a bob seger song uh i can i think you'll find it sounded like a bruce springsteen song scene, maybe. No. so <laughs> 
mean, yeah, sorry, sorry, at, Gabe. You get you bring us back. Bring sorry, us back yeah. to something to be an adult. real. I mean, yes, <laughs> at the polar opposite end of, I mean, golden years being just this like weird kind of ironic exercise. It's such an earnest song. It's mm-hmm. so like honest and earnest about what he's feeling about these like difficult feelings. Even has that line, you know, in the age of grand illusion, you walked into my life. Like he's 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 talking about himself as a pop star and like of just searching for something real. It's a really, it's a really heartfelt song and it's really, and it, that, that in particular really stands out on the album that does have so many like wild experiments and, and play. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. And wild as the wind, uh, we, we actually did that Nina Simone album, uh, Mm -hmm. that it inspired him to, to record that song, hearing her version of it. Uh, she wasn't the first to record it, but but her version is absolutely beautiful and wonderful. And it's a the mark of a great artist that there's n- the the version that everyone really does know or that people did know at that time. This sounds nothing like. Hmm. Uh, there's mm-hmm. probably one of the, the one of the greatest to me one of the greatest pleasures in listening to music is listening to a song you kind of know, but it's someone has covered it so ex- uh, so perfectly that it it's got a whole new thing it's a whole new song so like we talked about wilson pickett did uh did hey jude and it's like it, you'd never even know it had been a beatles song like no one no one would ever tell or you know they, that was a few different beatles songs that are like that but but his version of this is is wonderful and i think the this nice story around around it as well is when he was recording it uh frank sinatra came into the studio because frank sinatra also used the studio he recorded this and gave him some compliments on on his his version of this song and that was part of the reason why he wanted to make sure it was on the album it's like just one of those like funny little you know frank sinatra one of the biggest the biggest deal in music for you know a decade and in the in the 50s and the early 60s and and one of the most influential people in music certainly and probably in the 20th century and and you've got him walking into just happenstance <laughs> happens to walk into a studio hear david bowie and say you should put this on and it's a beautiful song mm-hmm. it's a beautiful treatment of that song uh, is there anything else we want to make sure we we talk about before we move on no notes no. nothing I'm just getting a lot of shrugs just for the for the people at home I just there's, there's a lot of shrugging going on <laughs> gabe's giving me the finger now Two fingers. Well, okay. Three fingers? Wait, where's that other one coming from? Uh, (laughs) What's your favorite song? What's your favorite song on this album, Gabe? Oh, man. I think I I need to go TVC 15. It's just, it's such a joy. It's so silly. It's so, it's so wacky. Um, And it's just all, like, it, it has the really wonderful piano going, piano line going on in it. Um, yeah, it's just a real joy. It's such a strange song. Um, yeah, I think I need to go for the silly one. Sonia? Uh, true to form, I'm going to pick two. I never, I can't just ever narrow it down to one. Nostalgic favorite is Golden Years because it also was like a centerpiece in the movie A Knight's Tale mm-hmm. from... 2001 featuring Heath Ledger, God rest him. And my son, that was one of his favorite movies when he was a kid. So I saw that movie 1 million times and uh, 
so I have a nostalgic attachment to that song, but Word on a Wing, which I had never heard before listening to it for this podcast, is the most, I think for me, the most striking song of the album. Um, mm. So yeah, nostalgic favorite and uh, two thumbs up favorite. So I just wanted to, to note this, I had to go looking for it, uh, but for TVC15, um, Robert Chrisgau, who is uh, the Village Voice, he, he did reviews for the Village Voice. Um, at that time, he's come up a couple times on this podcast. He said that it was his favorite piece of rock and roll in a very long time, and that spaciness has always been Bowie's shtick. And anybody who can merge Lou Reed, Disco, and Doctor John deserves to keep doing it for five minutes and twenty nine seconds, which is kind That's of a very a, good point. Yes, totally. it's a it's a it's a great song. I I would also stick with Word on uh, on a Wing. I think is my favorite. I think it's just it's it's one that really sticks with me. Um, even even now i think these these are this is definitely an album i'm going to go back and listen to more and more mm -hmm. uh, it's you know like we've had a few of them here and there that pop up that we've that we've done we've done like this is 20 or 28 maybe for this podcast and there's probably like a handful that i really go back to often i have a feeling this one's going to be one of them do you think this was a commercial success a critical hit or both gabe hmm I, it does seem like the kind of album that critics would respond to, but I was also thinking as I've listened to it that I can also imagine, you know, that sometimes you'll get those, those really savage review, like where someone is like, the Beatles are terrible and never going anywhere. Mm -hmm. And then we can look back on it and laugh. And I can completely imagine this album having for, for some people and some critics, just absolutely not clicking, just being like, what is this mess? It's all over the place. I don't get it, but yeah. I have a. Few, it does seem like, in general, the kind of thing that critics would respond to. Um, yeah. And I, I, I know Golden Years was a hit as well. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, I, I would guess it was popular both ways. Sonia, if you could get your cat mm -hmm. to stop brushing up against the microphone for just two seconds. Sorry, uh, I'll hold her up here. In 1976, Perfect. everybody loved cocaine. So I'm going to go with, yes, this is a huge hit. He's <laughs> doing the backstroke in cocaine. Critically and commercially, huge hit. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, everybody loved cocaine. That's so, what I'm saying. Love. I think cocaine was a critical and commercial <laughs> hit also. <laughs> <laughs> you're using past tense there. Uh, <laughs> so... It was gold in the UK, US, and Canada. Uh, hit number three on the Billboard chart, number five in the UK. Um, it was kind of a, a typical performance for Bowie at this point in his career. A lot, basically, everything went gold for him. So it, it would be surprising, like something crazy would have had to happen for it to to fall off a cliff. I think, and there's there's just too much good stuff there. It didn't quite reach the heights of Aladdin Sane, which was number one in the UK and went platinum. The Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust, which went double platinum in the UK, or Hunky Dory, which was platinum in the UK. Uh, but, you know, I mean, pretty solid, especially considering that first song. And um, yeah, mostly positive critical response. But like I, I'd mentioned, there are a couple of things people kind of had problems with. So he was praised on the producing and musical side of things. People really praised him for going in, in new directions and adding, you know, kind of a harder edge. If you if you listen to Young Americans, it, it does have that kind of a bit of that funk sound, but it's like a scaled back version. And this is like, a, all right, turn, you know, turn the amps Dialed up to up 11. To 11. Yes. <laughs> ah. Sorry. You beat me. And or, you, you know, you can like, just, yeah. you can just mute me. 
You have yeah, well, not now because we've been say. talking about it. This is like when, when the cat jumps in and starts meowing and then we start talking about it. And it's, I, I don't have the time of day to edit all that out. Uh, the album was called one of the most significant albums released in the last five years in a, in a review from NME. Uh, and appeared in number two on their list of best albums of the year. Uh, the best one was a Bob Dylan album. Can't remember which one off the top of my head. Uh, vocal performance criticized, as I've mentioned. Uh, one of the quotes uh, that I found was, the most significant advance in LP filler since Lou Reed's metal machine music. So this is all <laughs> garbage, basically, is what that one was all was about. It's so there's your, fi- there's your review, Gabe. It's not even yeah. filling the LP very well. It's only 35 minutes. Like, come on. Yeah. And it has a 10-minute long song to yeah. start. <laughs> one third of the album is one song. Yeah. That I don't includes- know, for... Yeah. For a 10 minute song, I, I didn't, I mean, after the initial, I don't know, maybe, yeah, the four minutes of a silence after that, you know, it really picks up guys. It, it's like, the thing is the first minute and a half though is fantastic. If that had led to like something that like really built into something, but it just kind of then continues on for like three more minutes <laughs> of like the same, almost the exact same music and pacing for like the next three minutes, but he starts singing quietly over it. It's just weird. Anyway, uh, today this is this is often considered one of his best and most significant projects. It's generally ranked as one of his five best albums, uh, and this is uh, he's Ultimate Classic Rock has argued um, that this album is when Bowie transitioned from rock star to artist, where he was like no longer concerned with just get, making hits, but he was he was concerned with just doing something interesting. Most of the reappraisal of this uh, is focused on where the album fits in his catalog. But yeah, it's it's interesting. I I think that's the challenging thing here to me when we talk about like why it's on the list or where it is on the list, because it's it's one of three that he has in the top 100, which is impressive. And I don't know. I I feel uncomfortable <laughs> with with through any artist having three of anything in the top 100. Like, isn't that does that feel off a little bit somehow? Yeah, no, that's my my. That's one of my biggest complaints about this list is like the overrepresentation of a very narrow depth of music, mm-hmm. predominantly male, predominantly white, predominantly Western and all that jazz. Um, can't we pick? I know he's got a real zany career, but can we pick one or two albums that are super representative of what he was trying to do as a pop star or as an artist? and? call it a day and give a little more breadth to the list. Yeah. And predominantly rock between the sixties yeah. and eighties as well. Like yeah. it's such a, 100%. it's such a narrow band. Like mm-hmm. it's, I mean, in terms of like, I don't know, it's such a challenging list because it, it has defined itself as music or like albums, mm-hmm. which is a wild thing to do because albums mm-hmm. are so, are such different things. And it's clearly what it's actually broadcasting is largely a more narrow band. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, then it winds, it does feel like, you know, even if Bowie has, f- you know, five amazing albums, including Bowie on the list seems like a more, uh, an important thing to do, including all sure. of his great albums doesn't necessarily seem like mm-hmm. the yeah. most important thing to do. But then how do you, how do you pick? How do you make the, no, exactly. Well, and that's that's it. So this is one of, like I said, it's one of three in the top 100. The other two are The Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust, which is his highest place. I think it's somewhere around 40, I believe. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. and it, this one's ahead of Hunky Dory, which uh, is, I believe, gets closer to 100. It's like in the 80s, maybe. And and low. I don't know where low falls on the on the list, but low and and scary monsters are monsters. Up higher. So uh, there's like a total of in. five out of yeah. the five. No, no, like higher. Sorry, higher number, bigger number. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, there's there's a total of five albums of his on the list. So I'm just talking about like one the the three that are in the top 100 mm-hmm. of all time. Yeah. And this is like the thing is like Ziggy Stardust. If you go back and listen to Ziggy Stardust, there's like something that it's exciting and like there's like a sheer audacity to it. It's just like there's it just smacks you in the face in a way that well I don't said. feel like this one does. Mm-hmm. And Hunky Dory is like just so catchy. It's it's a pop masterpiece. It's him being like, hey, hey, watch this. I'm gonna do like every song is going to is going to be stuck in your brain for the next, you know. And and so this is this one feels like a weird one to me because it as I as that that one reviewer said, it's kind of like at that point of transition from pop star into a rock star into, but for all three of them to be there in the in the 100 feels feels off to me and. So I, you know, I, I'm also aware. This is the this is the challenging thing I have with this list. I'm also aware that there are people on the some people are on the list a bunch because they're like legit geniuses, and they put together, mm-hmm. you know, they put together great albums because they were geniuses. And that's actually one of the biggest challenges I think at times when I've disliked an album that's on this list, or I've, or I've, I try and argue with someone why X artist isn't on there, or this one, this one. It's like sometimes there's great artists who put out a lot of great music, but never a great album. Mm. One that where the album clearly fits together so perfectly. And when I think of Ziggy Stardust, it's great. When I think of Hunky Dory, mm. it's great. When I think of this album, I think it's great. And so I have a tough, like maybe they need to be pushed back a little bit, but like maybe they're legitimately this good. I don't know. It's it's a really I, tough one. Sorry, Tony, go ahead. I, I was just going to say that I think what would help me feel better about the list is if they were clear about the rationale for the for including mm-hmm. specific albums on the list like there's no rubric there's no set yeah. criteria that explains why and how they're being compared one against the other i think it was just it feels like and i think maybe you or nathan has mentioned this in previous episodes but kind of like a popularity contest in some ways like and and wanting mm-hmm. to hit the hit the right notes about who should be included on the list? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's infuriating. <laughs> I think I, I I do think as as you're saying, I mean, it's it's tough with people who are uh, geniuses who keep making amazing work, and you want to include that. And it's tough with someone like Bowie as well, who's a genius who's making such different forms of work. Like as you say, like the, those other two albums are are kind of perfect pop masterpieces. I don't think this is in the same way, but I think it's. You know, you know, we started talking about this kind of moment in Bowie's life of him doing too much cocaine and in a Los Angeles apartment and freaking out and eventually fleeing to Europe. Uh, and I think this album serves as a really amazing testament of that moment. Like, I think it as as disparate as all the songs are, like, I think I think overall they sum up to like such a specific uh, mental space and such a, a specific time of of life and, and moment. But like that in itself is a really striking accomplishment and is very different than, mm-hmm. than Ziggy Stardust, for instance. Yeah, it, it it is. It's one of those things where it's like then you have Low, which I think is maybe the next episode or next episode, next album he puts out. 
and <laughs> and so that's kind of like in that it's like in the berlin trilogy of albums and it's, oh, it's right, kind right. of like more more artistic and so it's like well do you need this middle one or do you need the one the ones before it that show his his mastery of like rock and pop and then right. you say oh and then then he did this this one over here it's like well we've got to include low because it's such an artistic masterpiece but you can't include low without including station to station because station to station is how he gets to low but you can't yeah. include that without including this because that's the amazing I mean, one <laughs> I, I feel like uh you know we're not banishing these albums any of these albums from the their creation in history but no you know if there were just some sort of yeah criteria that would help me understand why they're why they are they are where they are and that would i don't know I anything feel at all weird about it that'd be helpful anything throw well, me a freaking bone yeah one thing i've I've talked about previously with with albums is like this idea of they're important to the artist they're important to music they make some sort of big contribution to music and at the same time they're like hyper listenable and like i think this is very it's important it's clearly supposed to be important to him because it's this transition art album and it's it's a different sound uh is it important to music what is the contribution he's making to music here and is is that enough to to kind of push it further up the list and then the other one is like how listenable is it and i mean i enjoy this album but if you listen to a whole bunch of the albums that are above this it's like they have the kind of music that you're going to hear on the radio a whole bunch and I don't think that all of these fit that necessarily. I don't think they fit it as cleanly. And I don't even mean like they have to be pop. I mean, like when you look at uh, Are You Experienced, for instance, the Jimi, Jimi Hendrix one, like it's like half of that album is just like massive hits that people will remember for a hundred years. Mm-hmm. And that's not this album. So there's something there to, to me about like maybe it doesn't need to be quite as high, but I don't know. I like it. So. I'm fine with it being being on the list. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you guys want to hear a one bad opinion? Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So this one is from Rate Your Music in 2020. Uh, Station to Station is the best thing David ever did with his music career. It seems like you're Perfect cruising days. through metropolis city in a light speed train, but the other songs are just dull and uninteresting. So he's literally That's... just like this one song is good, the ten minute song at the start, the one that I I don't like. All right. <laughs> yeah, and that's a bold choice. Yep, I do think that there is something to. There's always that kernel of truth in every terrible opinion, and <laughs> and I do think that to your point from very way back at the start of this game that this is that song is almost him being like I'm just going to put a stamp on this this album right away. You've you've barely even turned it on yet, but I'm already going to put a stamp on this saying this is different. And so t- there is a kernel in that in that terrible opinion of truth of like that's that's the thing that's different. Like the biggest the biggest difference between this album and the one right before it is that 10 minute song that can make you feel like you just wasted 10 minutes. Yeah. So Yeah, it's a very striking song. Would you recommend this uh, album to other people, Gabe? Yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, it's it's very easy to recommend David Bowie because uh, even when he's at his most weird and artistic, he's generally having a lot of fun and like putting together a bunch of like great pop genres and like playing something really really interesting. And yeah, just just it's such a, a fascinating document of yeah of <laughs> of a very odd time in his life. In his life that he doesn't even remember. 
Like yeah. it's such a that, to me that's the funniest thing about this whole thing mm -hmm. is he made this album. It's on this list of it's in the one hundred greatest albums of all time, and he has no clue how it was made. Doesn't remember high being out there. of his gourd, you know, yeah. just it's incredible. Mm -hmm. Sonia, would you recommend this to, to people and why? Yes, and I I have actually while I've been listening to it for the podcast, I, I've been telling friends and loved ones, mm -hmm. you ought to right. listen to this album and 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 universally. It's been receiving good reviews from People. friends and loved ones. So, yeah, I, I would also recommend it. I, I don't know if it would be the first Bowie album I'd recommend, uh, but I think, it, you know, I, I would definitely recommend it. It's just it is fun if you can get past that first song. If you're if you're able to kind of power through that first song, you're going to be rewarded with a whole bunch of great music. That's all for today. Thank you, as always, to Sonia. Thanks to Gabe for joining us. No thanks to Nathan. Check out Record Roulette on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at RR Music Pod. Rate and review this podcast wherever you can. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Or listen at recordroulettepodcast.com. Music in this episode is from Lemon Music Studio. Thank you for tuning in to Record Roulette. Until the next spin, goodbye.